Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode two of the Advanced Route here at The Athletic. I am your host, Michael Beller, welcoming you into another run at bringing stats and scouts together as we get ready for fantasy football season. As always, I am joined by my co-host, Emery, Emery Hunt. Excuse me. Emery, how's everything going over there, my man? It's going good, man. It's, it's still hot out here in the summertime and uh, just trying to find ways to stay in the shade. <laughs> right. Well, we're hoping to... Uh, have everyone or have all of our listeners have it made in the shade this season and certainly this draft season. We're still a few weeks away from that, of course, but now we're really into the part of the offseason, uh, part of the summer where we're really getting into the nitty gritty on getting ready for our fantasy football drafts and auctions. And there was a, a pretty big piece of news that came out last week coming out of Houston. Uh, the Texans let Deontay Foreman go, and that seemingly has Lamar Miller in total control of Houston's backfield. It's been a lot of talk in fantasy circles, so that's where I want to start this episode of the advanced route with you looking at this Houston backfield, looking at Lamar Miller, and if anything or anyone is going to maybe stand in his way. So I think we start out by setting the landscape and saying, as this team is constructed, as this backfield is constructed right now, what are your expectations for the group as a whole and for Lamar Miller specifically going into the season? You know, I, I think Lamar Miller is probably going to be the direct beneficiary of of not having Deonta Foreman there. From, from the point they drafted him, it felt like they were trying to find a way to get him the ball a little bit more because they didn't trust the fact that Miller can stay healthy. And he proved he can stay healthy to, to a certain extent last year and was able to get the, you know, have a solid season. And now with Foreman coming back sluggish off that Achilles, I think this plays in the hand directly in the hands for Lamar Miller to, to be that workhorse and to be able to carry the load. Because right now, I think they want to continue having that speed on, on the field. And they have a bunch of guys that they can choose from to be a, a capable number two. But I think this is a, a clear sign that they're all in on Lamar Miller, at least for this season, which should bode well for his chances as a fantasy back. Do you think he can be that sort of workhorse? You, you said the word, and that's obviously a key word. Uh, there's a reason why um, Ezekiel Elliott, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley are thought of as the fantasy assets that they are that goes beyond their obvious immense talent. And it's because they are, no doubt about it, 320, maybe even more touch backs. Do you think Lamar Miller can be a guy who gets, say, 250 carries and 80 targets in this Houston offense? I think he can, and I also believe that when you look at everyone around them, you know, when you're talking about Will Fuller, you're talking about Kiki Cutie, if those guys stay healthy, if they ever find a way to, to work in a tight end, I know Jordan Aikens is supposed to be that guy this year for him, um, so we'll see. But if they can find a way to work in the tight end along with uh, Lamar Miller, he may not have to carry the ball that often or catch that many passes. But I do feel as though he'll be – a heavy involved, he'll be heavily involved in that offense. And, and when you look at what he brings to the table, he has a home run hitting speed. In his career, he has two 97-yard touchdown runs, which is which is hella impressive. <laughs> um, that's a testament to how he's able to get to his acceleration quickly and also how he's able to maintain that top speed for a long distance. Uh, so you kind of want to give that guy the football, but you also want to put him in advantageous situations. And I think by everyone else being healthy, fuller, cutie, and the working of a Jordan Aikens or Jordan Thomas, the other tight end, 
it it helps his case as to being that quote unquote workhorse guy. So I do see him as a clear cut number one with no threat behind him. And I think he's primed for a breakout season. Well, not a breakout season, but a very good season for the Texans. It's interesting that you say that, that you that you wrap it up with that, because Lamar Miller uh, is, I think, one of the most underappreciated fantasy players. Now, I, I think a lot of people and I can speak definitely for myself uh, when he came over uh, to Houston from Miami. Uh, I certainly thought, um, and I wasn't alone, uh, but not not to deflect any uh, of the uh, uh, sort of shame here, uh, that he was going to be a rock solid, like top five, top seven running back. That never happened for him. But still, if we go back over the last five years of Lamar Miller's career, so we go all the way back to 2014, uh, I'm going to read off what he has been uh, at the running back position in half PPR leagues, which is basically the standard these days for the total. And then for uh, points per game. So in 2014, he was running back nine total, running back 12 points per game. In 15, it was fifth and 12th. In 16, he was 18th in both total and points per game. 17, he was 16th and 18th. And then last year, he was running back 22 total, running back 21 in points per game. So this is a guy who, even though he's been dogged, even though he has never been maybe fully embraced as a workhorse back by his coaching staff, has still, with consistency, turned in running back to numbers. Now, if that changes for him this year, let's say he is a guy who ends up carrying more of a load than he ever has, do you think he can graduate into the top 10, 12 group at running back? Or are we just talking about a safer bet to be a running back to a top you know, 15, top 20 guy? Yeah, I think the latter is, is more true because if you look at his consistency over the course of his career – one, he only played one or two seasons, 16 games. And like I said before, you do, you really, even though he doesn't miss a lot of games, you feel as though he misses time, um, you know, a series here or there or a quarter because some, uh, some nagging injury or, or some type of issue. So that's probably why he's only had two 1,000-yard seasons, never had a double-digit touchdown season rushing, hasn't really been utilized in the passing game. So – that has been consistent since he entered the league. He's going into year eight. So I think we kind of know what the book is on Lamar Miller. I think he's perfect for their offense because that offense runs through Deshaun Watson. It runs through DeAndre Hopkins. It's going to run through Will Fuller when he's healthy. He's a deep ball guy. And Kiki Cutie is another guy that they can utilize as another supplement to the running back position because of what he can do getting a short pass and taking it a long way. So Lamar Miller's role is clearly defined, in my opinion, within his offense and also for what he is as a player. You wrote a really good piece on The Athletic. I'd recommend it to anyone who hasn't already read it after uh, Deontay Foreman got released, looking at uh, not Lamar Miller, but the guys who could step in to the role that Deontay Foreman was expected to play. And they got a couple of rookies, Karen Higdon and Demaria Crockett. Uh, how do you see those guys fitting into the offense? And do you think that one of them is going to play the role that we expected Foreman to play? Or do you think that Bill O'Brien is going to uh, change maybe what that running back two in Houston looks like uh, and tailor it more to the skill set of whoever ends up being that primary or secondary player alongside Lamar Miller in the backfield? I think he's going to look at it as more of a complimentary guy, as a true spell guy, a guy that's going to come in maybe a series or two a game. Um, and spell Lamar Miller while also contributing on special teams. I, I believe if you want consistency, you lean toward Higdon because he was proven to be more consistent and healthy at Michigan. But if you want somebody that kind of fits that Deonta Foreman role, a guy that has 
some skills, but also some power, then that's Crockett because Crockett has that burst, has that level of explosiveness. He just was banged up the last two seasons at Missouri, which is why he came out early. So there's two types of, of you know options here for uh, Bill O'Brien. If he wants to, if he wants to go in any direction, he has some options. But I think these were either option will be more along the lines of, hey, go in there for a series and spell him, and we'll get you right back out. I think that's going to be what you can expect for either back, uh, you know, either one of these undrafted rookies. We saw that a lot in Houston over the last couple of years uh, with it sort of almost being like a two to one share where Lamar Miller would be on the two side of that. And then Alfred Blue would get an entire possession. It wouldn't just be Alfred Blue coming in for a play here, a play there or even a series. He would basically be out there for an entire uh, possession and then Lamar Miller would get his two uh, after that. Is that how you see this breaking down, assuming they don't make a move in the backfield? I, I think so. And most coaches like to run it that way where you go two, one, two, two series for your starter, one for your reserve, two more for your starter. And and how and depending on how the game is going or how the game plan is going, you may alternate that. You may even bring a guy in every other down. So it all depends. But initially they want that two, one, two type of uh, flow to, to their backfield. If and when they go quick, is Lamar Miller equipped to be a, a big time receiving back? I mean, are they going to do you think they'll have to sub him in and out or, or go away from him in, in catch up mode? Or do you think he's someone who could be a guy who turns 80 targets into 55 receptions? I don't think their backfield or their passing game is set up that way. They're set up to work touchdown to check down. I'm telling you, Will Fuller <laughs> is the focal point of their of their deep passing game. Hopkins is consistent. He can go deep, intermediate, and short. But when Will Fuller is out there, that's a different offense. They don't even throw to their backs, so to speak. It's Fuller, Hopkins, and Cutie. And Deshaun Watson will scramble, either take off and run, or scramble to buy time to find Fuller, Hopkins, or Cutie uh, deep down the field. The backs, to me, are more along the lines of, of your meets expectations guys in a passing game. And that's, and that's your screens, your flares, your swing passes, and your – um your out route. So they don't really work those guys deep down the field or intermediate down the field in the passing game. So I wouldn't expect Lamar Miller to be that big of an asset as a receiver, as a running back. Let's talk about one more hypothetical in this situation before we move on. Obviously for the next couple of weeks, uh, they're going to be talked about as potential trade targets uh, for running backs, especially with Melvin Gordon holding out, especially with Duke Johnson uh, demanding a trade from Cleveland. We know what would happen if they were to make a trade for Melvin Gordon. Obviously, Melvin Gordon steps in and becomes the primary running back. So we don't really need to concern ourselves with that. But what happens, theoretically, if Houston goes out and makes a trade for Duke Johnson? How does that uh, affect Lamar Miller's fantasy value? And what would that mean for Duke Johnson as well? That would be an ideal situation because Duke Johnson will force them to utilize the backs in the passing game, and he'll get the most work uh, in that regard. It would actually make their offense even more explosive. You may even see a Lamar Miller, Duke Johnson dual backfield, which would definitely cause a lot of problems uh, for a defense. So if they were able to make that move to me, that would be an ideal situation for their offense. It all, it almost makes too much sense for it to happen. So if they are looking for a true RB two that can enhance their offense and not take away from Lamar Miller's ability to run the ball, but they also want to get a little bit more dynamic in the passing game. They make a move right now for for Duke Johnson. 
would definitely be interesting to see a, a proven receiving back like Duke added to Deshaun Watson, Lamar Miller, DeAndre Hopkins, Will Fuller, Kiki QT would definitely uh, make uh, and what's probably going to be a pretty crowded, tough, challenging division to win with Indianapolis, with Jacksonville looking like maybe they can uh, they can get back to their uh, 2017 selves. Uh, and with Tennessee, uh, definitely would be a good move for that Houston offense. Uh, and again, if you uh, if you haven't checked out um, Emery's piece on Karen Higdon and Demaria Crockett and how they fit in, assuming that one of them is going to be the primary backup to Lamar Miller, go ahead and check that out on The Athletic. Moving on to uh, our next topic, uh, we have a big crop of young quarterbacks, second year or rookie quarterbacks, who are getting a lot of attention in the fantasy world. The one guy who I think we're all pretty set on uh, what he's going to be this year is Baker Mayfield, Duke Johnson's uh, current teammate, maybe not forever, but his current teammate, at least in Cleveland. But beyond that, there are a ton of young quarterbacks, a couple of third year guys as well, uh, who could end up jumping up and making a big leap and becoming regular, consistent fantasy starters as a baseline, and in some cases, guys who are expected to be fantasy football stars. So I want to get your take, Emery, on what they do from a real-life standpoint and how that could translate into big-time fantasy value. I think a place that we have to start is with this year's first overall pick, Kyler Murray. When you look at Kyler Murray and how he fits in Arizona, how he fits in that Cliff Kingsbury offense, what are you expecting from him in year one? Big things because it's the perfect marriage. You know, when you look at Cliff Kingsbury and getting his guy, most coaches come into the league and take time to find, quote unquote, their guy right at that position. He came in knowing who he wanted, knowing what player fits perfectly with what he wants to do. And he just so happened to have the number one overall pick and a guy that he really covets that he'd been trying to snag since high school is there at number one overall pick. So it's a perfect fit. He's going to do everything to make this guy successful. So I think the fit, number one, is excellent, and therefore he should thrive you know, on both ends of offense as a passer and also as a runner. Is there either side of that that you're that you're more excited about just as a as, as someone in your position, someone who uh, breaks down the tape so keenly? Is there uh, Kyler as a passer, Kyler as a runner? Is there something that you're more uh, intrigued by uh, in his rookie season? It's going to be the passing game. And I think here's the thing. And we've seen this before. I, I have an article up on The Athletic um, in regards to the Browns offense and how, you know, we've seen this much talent have success in the past. And with that being a backdrop, when you look at the, the Arizona Cardinals and the system that Cliff Kingsbury is running, normally when you see this run and shoot air raid type of an offense, let's go back to. Um, the 84 Houston Gamblers in the USFL with Jim <laughs> Kelly, Mouse okay. Davis, those guys, right? I was born uh, in 1984, Emory, so this is going to be a stretch for me. Okay, I, I got it. All right, let me get close. <laughs> no, 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 it's okay. Go ahead. Roll, let, with let, it. Go Roll with it. Roll with let's it. Yeah, go with yeah. the, the, um, I'm just saying I'm not going to necessarily be able to visualize it as well as you are. <laughs> well, how about this? How about the the Oilers running shoot, run and shoot of the Houston, the Houston Oilers of the 80s and 90s, right? Okay. Or the Falcons red gun offense with Jerry Glanville Mouse Davis, or the uh, the the recent air raid wave we've seen in college football, or even just what Chip Kelly was trying to do at Oregon, um, not Oregon, but with the Eagles. But let's just say with the red the um, the K gun with Jim Kelly, even though they had the one element that I that I want to get to, 
uh, the red gun offense with the Falcons of 91 under Jerry Glanville, the run and shoot with the Oilers or the Houston Gamblers in the USFL. So none of these offenses outside of the Bills had a true threat at running back, which is why those offenses never really had tremendous success in the playoffs. When you look at Arizona, they have a back that you can trust. That's a true game breaker in David Johnson. So now teams just can't play coverage or blitz because you have to worry about the running game as well. Also, when you look at the the, the Gamblers, the Oilers, the Bills, the Falcons, none of them had the athlete at quarterback like a Kyler Murray. So now you're adding his athleticism, his passing, and the threat of the run with both him and the, the running back David Johnson and Chase Edmonds, who I like a lot too out of Fordham, that makes the offense so tough to defend. So I'm excited to see how the offense will look. I think because of those two elements, the running game and the athleticism and mobility of Akala Murray, this offense should be tailor-made to have success because they have weapons. Christian Kirk, uh, Larry Fitzgerald, um, Keyshawn Johnson out of Fresno State, the rookie is impressing. They bring in Michael Crabtree. They have Andy Isabella. They have a lot of talent out there uh, for, for these quarterbacks, for that quarterback Murray to, to hit the ground running. The Charles Clay, the tight end. Um, you, you also have Ricky Seals Jones. So there's a ton of options. And when you have a mobile quarterback, your offensive line will look better than what it was or better than it may appear because he can get out of his own way. He essentially is the sixth offensive lineman with his ability to, you know, to uh, supersede adequate offensive line play. So Murray, I think, should have a phenomenal year as a rookie. Do you think there's anything we can take from Kingsbury's time at Texas Tech with Patrick Mahomes and apply to what we might see from Kyler Murray this season? He's going to let him be him. And the reason why Murray, I like his chances because he has the quote-unquote it factor. I know a lot of guys don't like that because they can't quantify what it is, but you know it when you see it. And go back to Pat Mahomes' sophomore season in that Texas Bowl when they played LSU. There were two players on that Texas Tech team that wasn't afraid of the big bad Tigers from the SEC. That was Pat Mahomes and Jakeem Grant, who's starring right now for the Miami Dolphins. Those two guys, it was third and long numerous times. They were able to convert, find ways to get first downs. Murray's the same way. Murray's a guy that's not afraid of pressure. He's going to find ways to make it happen. Kingsbury did a great job in allowing those guys to be themselves, wasn't trying to really make them something that they're not. So he was able to... to cater his system around those guys' talents, I think he's going to do the same with Murray. want to get back to David Johnson for a second here as well. Um, obviously, he slogged through last year with that antiquated offense, uh, with Josh Rosen adjusting to the league and not necessarily adjusting as well as a lot of us think Kyler Murray's going to be able to, and still was the number 10 running back in fantasy football leagues. Do you think that this is, in all systems go, David Johnson could be back to being the very best running back from a fantasy perspective? I think so. Uh, again, when you have a Kyler Murray, the athleticism, it helps aid the running game. And ask any running back, who he, who would he rather play with? He would rather play with the mobile quarterback because he keeps that backside defender at bay. That's one less defensive lineman you have to worry about. That's one additional lineman getting to the second level. You, you already are running in an advantageous situation. I want to do this with each quarterback before we move on to the next one. So this is the last thing we'll talk about with Kyler. Uh, I want to ask you, uh, look at their average draft positions uh, as they stand right now and ask you if you would take the rookie in question 
or the other person who's uh, who's part of the equation. So just quick, give me two word answers. The two words being the first name and the last name. So right now, Kyler Murray is ninth by quarterback ADP. Seventh is Carson Wentz. You go in Carson Wentz or Kyler Murray? I'm going Kyler Murray. Okay. Eighth is Drew Brees. Drew Brees or Kyler Murray? Kyler Murray. Wow. Tenth is Cam Newton. Are you going Cam Newton or Kyler Murray? Kyler Murray. Oh, man. I think I, I think we got to go up. How about sixth right now by ADP at the quarterback position is Matt Ryan. Are you going Matt Ryan or Kyler Murray? Kyler Murray. Wow. All right. How about uh, the guy who he followed in at Oklahoma and in the uh, Heisman Trophy voting, Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray? Kyler Murray. Wow. So are you okay? Let, let, let's let's cut uh, let's cut right through all this. Pat Mahomes is one. Deshaun Watson two. Andrew Luck three. Aaron Rodgers is four. Are you taking Kyler Murray over any of those guys? No, but I will probably put Kyler Murray right in that conversation with. Andrew Luck and, and Aaron Rodgers. I think that's a toss up. I think the point is when you have the the ability to run for a thousand while also being able to throw for four thousand. That's why I like that value and his ability to, to stay healthy, even though we haven't seen it yet. We've seen Cam Newton get hurt. We've seen Carson Wentz get hurt. We've seen a guy like Murray be able to have success just keeping on the move and, and not get in harm's way. He's more he's both quick and fast. So when you look at that, in addition to what he's going to do throwing the football, he's going to be able to put up the numbers. I, I, it's to me, it's a, it's easy to pick Kyle Murray. All right, Emery. So we are we are recording this on Wednesday, August seventh, and you are saying here Wednesday, August seventh, on the advanced route, Kyler Murray is a top five fantasy quarterback. Absolutely. Ooh, okay, take that and run with it, readers. Let just like Kyler might do for a thousand yards, right? <laughs> there you go. Again, you only need 65 yards a game for guys like Kyle Murray, Lamar Jackson. That's just one run. You know, so it, that's you have to look at from from that perspective as well. Like these guys can do things that a lot of the quarterbacks on that list that you that you name can't. Well, let's talk about another one of these guys, Lamar Jackson, I think right there in terms of intrigue with Kyler Murray. Now, obviously a little bit different, uh, a different offense, certainly, maybe not quite the passing ceiling that I think a lot of us think Kyler Murray has, uh, and a little bit of NFL time under his belt. Seven starts last year, he played in every game for Baltimore. What do you need to see out of Lamar Jackson this season to believe that he is uh, taking the next step as a quarterback? Just him going out there for the first game of the season, because I fully believe that he's going to be what I expect him to be as a quarterback because we watched him do it at Louisville with a pro-style coach in Bobby Petrino, who, like I've said before, when you look at what Petrino was supposed to do as the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, he was supposed to coach Michael Vick and make him a more polished passer in addition to being a dynamic athlete. We never got to see what that looked like because Vick went off to jail. Petrino left the Falcons. He goes and coaches the um, Louisville Cardinals. He gets Lamar Jackson. We saw a freshman Lamar Jackson just be a take the snap and take off and run. Sophomore Lamar Jackson, we saw a Heisman Trophy winner. Junior season Lamar Jackson, we saw a guy that was better than he was when he won the Heisman Trophy. So, and last year we saw a guy just they threw him in there in a makeshift makeshift offense where he hadn't had time to work with the, re- the starting receivers. They basically just took the package that he ran in the preseason. And in the the first nine games of the season, it made that the entire offense. And lo and behold, it went six and one, 
Should have been 7-0 if it wasn't for a lucky play by – a great play, I should say, by Pat Mahomes in that on a four and fourth down in the fourth quarter of that game. And it got them to the playoffs and also a division championship. So I have no worries about Lamar Jackson's ability to pass the football. I just think that is great comedy that we're seeing from many media writers, many analysts, as if this guy didn't put on a passing display at Louisville under a pro-style offense and a pro-style coach in Bobby Petrino. I think Lamar is going to put up Cam Newton-like passing numbers, you know, uh, maybe 30 touchdowns, 9 to, to 11 interceptions with like 850 yards rushing and, and double-digit rushing touchdowns. That's, to me, another easy play for this season. What sort of difference does it make having that full summer, full training camp, OTAs, everything, knowing that you are the starter? Because he obviously didn't have that last year, and now he does have that this season. What diff- what does that? How different is that for him? How different is that for for Harbaugh and the, and the Baltimore coaching staff? What, what different things can they do going into this season, just knowing that Lamar is our guy? They can do so much, and it helps the quarterback tremendously because of continuity, just like it helps an offensive line or a secondary. Continuity is king in football. And if I'm working with the same guys every day, spring, summer, and going into the fall, I know where I can put certain passes. I know how far I have to throw certain passes. I know guys' capabilities. Okay, I know if if Willie Sneed is running this go route, I have to really put a lot of air under it. But if Marquise Brown is running this go route, I can let it go, and I know he's going to run underneath it and get it. When you're thrown in the in the mix in week nine, you don't know that. So now going in, the continuity with these receivers, knowing their strengths, weaknesses, allows him as a QB to know where he can, where his 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 room for error is with each guy, and that just helps the offense go so much better and much more smooth uh, down the line. As as great as he was at Louisville and as uh, a high of a ceiling as he does have as a, as a passer coming into this season, uh, the fantasy community is very excited about what he can do as a runner because we saw it from him last season. Seven starts, he had 556 rushing yards and four touchdowns. Those are just his starts. Obviously, he had plenty more uh, production on the ground when he was mixing in alongside Joe Flacco, but in those seven starts, he had 556 rushing yards. John Harbaugh is already talking about you know, take the over on a thousand yards. How much running do you think he realistically can handle in terms of this also being a team that comes into the year as a defending division champion? They have Super Bowl aspirations. How much running can he handle both just physically and how much do you think Baltimore will actually let him do knowing the uh, change that befalls this offense should he get injured? I think the number of carries we saw him have last year is, is going to be the number of carries we see him have this year. The good thing about Lamar Jackson is that when he runs, he knows how to run. He runs as if he's a receiver more so than a guy that's a bulldozer. When you're a bulldozer, you're prone to more hits. That's why you see guys like a Cam Newton, like a Carson Wentz, like a Michael Vick, like a RG3. They run reckless. Guys like Vince Young, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Steve Young, those guys ran under, under control. And they knew how to get down. They knew how to get what was given and also get out of bounds or slide or or protect themselves. Find me the tape of Lamar Jackson getting hurt running the football. (laughs) You can't because it never happened because he knows how to protect himself. And so he can run all day. The ball ain't that heavy. And when you look at a guy like him running, he's probably just as dangerous to ball in his hands 
as anybody on a football field touching a football. So he's also elusive. And he he has that Michael Vick-like elusiveness with also that Michael Vick-like speed, but with that Russell Wilson-like calm when he runs the ball to where he knows how to protect himself. Designed runs were a huge part of the game for for Lamar Jackson and the Ravens offense last year. And just for the record, uh, you said uh, you would expect about the same number of carries. It was 147 carries for uh, Lamar Miller last season. So, you know, obviously I could see an increase with him starting uh, now every single game for this team. But that's sort of the baseline we're working with. But designed runs, how does that affect his overall game? Because he was way different than a guy, than two other guys, uh, Mitch Trubisky and Josh Allen, who ran for a lot of yards as young guys last year, but weren't always on designed runs. Uh, Lamar Jackson had a ton of designed runs. What does that do for for him in the Baltimore offense? It truly makes it an 11-on-11 game, even though that's already the case with Lamar Jackson as a quarterback. I think this year you will probably only see designed QB runs inside the red zone. Because the best play for a guy like Lamar Jackson or Kyle Murray is for him just to drop back and pass. Because now the defense doesn't know if he's going to take off and run. Now they can't really get good run fits because they have to play the pass. Him breaking contain and scrambling is the most terrifying thing for a defense, more so than calling design runs. Design runs, you really have to block it right in order for the run to pop. But when you're just doing your straight drop back passes, and you have the ability to take off and you run a 4-3 and you're elusive, man, you really have to stay assignment sound, stay disciplined. And if you're so focused on the quarterback, guess what? A lot of passing windows and zones are opening wide behind you, and Lamar Jackson has very good accuracy in the short to intermediate area to where he can hit that receiver in stride and they can make big plays that way. So I would probably see more design runs inside the red zone where you can take advantage of that short field and use him as the 11th guy, giving yourself the numbers advantage against a defense. Who benefits the most from Lamar Jackson other than Lamar Jackson in this offense? Obviously, Mark Ingram was a big move for them. Uh, Mark Andrews, the tight end, is really starting to become popular in fantasy leagues. Who is going to see their fantasy stock increase because of playing alongside a guy like Lamar Jackson? And certainly it could be all of them, but who is the guy that you look at in this offense and say, yes, because of Lamar and what he brings to the table, I want him on my teams. Mark uh, Mark Ingram. And here's the thing. I found it funny that analysts were talking about, well, you can, you know, these running back don't matter people uh, will say like, oh, is he look, look, you can find Gus Edwards in anywhere. Like, bro, Lamar Jackson made Gus Edwards. <laughs> now imagine Gus Edwards or imagine Mark Ingram with the same opportunities that Gus Edwards had. He's going to rip long runs because he has better vision, better footwork, better speed. Gus Edwards was running through gaping holes and left a lot of yards out there on the field. Mark Ingram is a game breaker. And when you have that in conjunction with a guy like uh, Lamar Jackson, case in point, look at Warg Dunn, who was a fantastic tailback in his career, was a great tailback at Florida State. Look at his yards per carry when he got to the Falcons paired with, with Michael Vick. That's what you're going to get from a guy like Mark Ingram. So that would be the target. Mark Andrews would be number two. And any one of those receivers, I think Boykin, he's developing a really good relationship with uh, and trust with, would probably be my number three option. Those seven starts for Lamar Jackson last year, 7.05 yards per attempt, 
1,100 yards, a little bit more than that. Five touchdowns against three picks. The 556 yards I mentioned, four touchdowns. He had 19.45 points per game in standard scoring fantasy leagues or standard quarterback scoring leagues. Uh, That would have made him the QB 10 last year, uh, sandwiched in between Jared Goff and Aaron Rodgers. Higher, lower than that uh, just shy of 20 point per game mark, you think, for Lamar Jackson this year? For which for which number? He had 19, the seven starts he had last year, he had 19 and a half points per game. Would have made him quarterback 10 between Jared Goff and Aaron Rodgers. Do you think that that's a number he can improve on this season? Absolutely. Again, he's a full-time starter. Uh, the, the game plan is probably going to be a little bit more balanced. Um, he's going to be uh, putting up more numbers throwing the football in addition to what he already does as a runner. So, yeah, those numbers will – he's going to increase on those numbers across the board. Okay, really quick, let's play this game with Lamar Jackson. Uh, by ADP, he is QB 15. We'll jump up to QB 13, uh, Jameis Winston. You like Jameis or Lamar Jackson? Lamar. Uh, QB 14 is Phillip Rivers. Are you going uh, Phil Rivers or Lamar Jackson? They played in a playoff game last year. I would probably take Rivers because I don't know the Melvin Gore situation. I think they're going to throw a lot. QB 16, one after Lamar Jackson, is a guy who he shares a division with, Ben Roethlisberger. You like Lamar or you like Big Ben? Man, that's a good one because Ben, I think, will be in the same situation as uh, Phillip Rivers. So I would probably lean toward Ben. Okay, and we'll jump back up to uh, QB 12, Jared Goff or uh, Lamar Jackson. Goff is in an ideal situation passing wise but he's scary so (laughs) (laughs) he got to take 10 points off of scariness um i would go lamar jackson over over jared golf all right so we've got uh, we've got lamar in emory's uh advanced route sort of off the top of the head ranking slotting in as a low-end quarterback one high-end quarterback two Mitch trubisky fits into this uh group as well along with uh, kyler murray and lamar jackson as young guys who could take a leap and could be part of fantasy football championship teams this year. So let's talk about Mitch. Uh, Now, his third year in the league, but it has the feel of his second year. Uh, uh, His rookie year played in a very slow offense that seemed like it was built for about 20 or 30 years ago under John Fox and Dowell Loggins. Then last year, he gets the injection of Matt Nagy as his head coach, and now year two for this entire Chicago offense under Matt Nagy. It has the feel of a second year for Trubisky, almost like that rookie year was really like a redshirt season. So what are your expectations for Mitchell Trubisky in year two under Matt Nagy? I think we're going to see more of the same for for Trubisky. I thought last year uh, was who he is as a passer. Um, I know he finished strong. Let's say the last series of that playoff game was excellent. He made some tremendous throws. And got them in position to win that game. Uh, But overall, throughout the course of that game, he was a liability. And so I think he's still a liability. But I also believe with another year of experience, he'll be less of that, but still slightly (laughs) of a liability. I still don't trust his decision making at times. Um, And at times he can hurt the offense. He left a lot of big plays out there on the field, a lot of touchdowns were left on the field and he made some very questionable interception, you know, uh, passes, uh, passes that were picked off. were like, dude, where are you throwing a football to? Um, there was literally no bear there and you just threw it. And I, I just don't understand the thought process. 
And so with that being said, I still don't trust him as as a fantasy breakout guy. I think what we saw last year is probably going to be what he's going to be and what you can expect from him. Um, his plays, his big plays came all scrambling, finding guys open. I think you'll probably see a little bit more of that, too. And um, we'll see how this newfound running game can help him out and kind of take the ball out of his hands, which would then make him a little bit more efficient player, which will be better in reality, but not for fantasy. If you don't think there's any there, there's any maybe natural growth coming here, then how do you get the most out of him? When you, you, you see the problems that he had last year, and as you said, there were some really ugly throws. Uh, he had a tendency to overthrow receivers. Uh, when, when you look at his problems and, and you say that we've got this Super Bowl-ready team other than the quarterback maybe, what do you do to get the most out of him, Mitch Trubisky? You got to minimize his his touches, so to speak. Let's say in basketball, if somebody's streaky, you just kind of want to find when they're hot and give them the football. I think in this in this case, in a football sense, allow your backs to be the the foundation of your offense and give Trubisky those easy throws, those intermediate throws, play action shots. Don't make don't try to make him be the superstar. And you see that with a lot of coaches. They want to prove that this guy is the guy. And that's a bad thing that you can do when a guy that you saw that down in Miami with Tannehill for eight years, eight, nine years, just acknowledge the fact that he's average and you can play with an average quarterback and be successful. You can even put up some good numbers. We see Jared Goff do it, um, did it the last two years and got to the Super Bowl. So I think they can do the same thing. Don't make it about Trubisky, make it about the offense, make it about the running backs, make it about getting the ball to your playmakers quickly. And then find a way to, to utilize Trubisky's athleticism, shrink the field for him, give him one, two reads or and take off. And he could be efficient. He could be effective. And the team overall offensively could catch up to what the defense can do. Let's talk about that team offensively because there are a lot of intriguing uh, uh, players uh, around Trubisky in the offense. Allen Robinson, David Montgomery, and Tariq Cohen are, are the three guys who not only obviously jump to mind, but are three guys who are all being drafted pretty highly across the board, no matter what sort of fantasy format you play in. What do you think their expectations should be or fantasy owners' expectations should be for those three guys, given how their skill sets fit in alongside Trubisky? We can start with, uh, let's start with Allen Robinson and then let's go to the backs. Well, Robinson is, you know, I feel bad for receivers at time because he, he is banking on Trubisky hitting him deep down the field in stride, you know. And so I think he's going to still put up their wide receiver one type numbers. Um, but fantasy value, you can probably wait to get him. Uh, as far as the backs, I, I still feel bad for Tariq Cohen because they still don't think he's their best back even though they moved on from what they thought was their best back, which we I said in numerous articles on The Athletic, but they still will probably not give Tariq Cohen the ball. And that's their best playmaker, their biggest game breaker. They're going to give the ball to um, David Montgomery, Montgomery yeah. yeah, whom everyone says he's the most elusive back. But every time I see a clip of him, he's running into every defender on the field. Like, you can't be elusive if you constantly run into everybody. That's not elusiveness. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, so, that's not the definition of the word. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out where is he elusive. Now, yeah, he can make a, a guy miss here or there. That's great. So he's going to get the opportunity to prove he can be J uh, Jordan Howard, while Tariq Cohen will still go criminally underutilized. And every third time he touches the ball, is going to either be a big play or a touchdown. So I, I think it, it'll be 
Uh, Robinson will be their wide receiver one. Montgomery will get the the touches to be RB one, but Cohen will be your your best ball, so to speak, type player, the guy that you kind of want as your flex because he's going to make two plays a game that either bails out the the Bears offense or saves the game for him. Montgomery is a guy who is getting a lot of attention because there's there's a thought that he can be what Jordan Howard he can take the Jordan Howard role on the ground and be much more of a threat as a receiver than Howard was in Chicago. Is Montgomery's increased receiving ability over what Howard brought to the table any boon to Trubisky, especially given the concerns you have about his ability to push the ball down the field? Let's check since people love stats, right? Mm-hmm. Let's let's check the stats at Iowa State. And when you look at Iowa State and him running the football, as a sophomore, he averaged 4.4 yards a carry. Last year, this past season, 4.7 yards a carry. Receiving 296 yards as a sophomore, 157 as a uh, junior. So I don't know where this receiving skill is coming (laughs) from. Catching a screen or a flare is not being a receiver out of the backfield. Being a downfield threat is being a receiver. What he was doing was the job of a running back and averaging 4.4 and 4.7 yards of carry in today's game in college football is not where you want to be. That's great if this was 96 because that, that means you was toting the rock. But now with the advent of spread offenses and the, the easiness of uh, the easy nature of getting to the second level because of scheme and, and splits and, utilizing the width of a college football field with the hash marks, and you're averaging 4.4 yards a carry. Again, where is this elusiveness coming from? Because if he was elusive, he would average 7.4 yards a carry and, and 6 yards a carry uh, being a, the main bell call at Iowa State. So I see them replacing Jordan Howard with the Iowa State version of Jordan Howard. <laughs> so I, I just – I don't I, – you know, everybody loves, you know, Twitter clips and, and vines and things like that. And that kind of sold people on David Montgomery. And I'm not knocking Montgomery, the person or the player. We're talking strictly his projection. They're going to be in for a rude awakening when they realize he slows down their offense and they want to go fast. And they got their fast guy, Tariq Cohen, just sitting there on the side collecting dust. Saw that in the playoff game against Philadelphia, uh, for sure. So there's a lot of um, expectation. Maybe not expectation might be a little heavy of a word, but there's certainly uh, hope that the Chicago offense is going to take a step forward because of the the coaching uh, on the sidelines and because of the uh, skill talent on the field. Uh, A lot of people are liking uh, Mitch is maybe jumping up and being in that Lamar Jackson group. A lot of people are liking David Montgomery to be a regular starter, Allen Robinson to get back to what he was that huge year he had in Jacksonville. Are you saying maybe pump the brakes on the Chicago group a little bit because of uh, Mitch's uh, uh, restrictions? Everybody need to stop reading the same articles and same tweets. Like, how about you subscribe to The Athletic? Check out <laughs> our stuff. Get a different perspective. Get a fresh perspective. Get the right perspective. I like because this. Every, everyone has the same hive mind. You know, everyone kind of told me that Jordan Howard was Bo Jackson. And first thing that happened this offseason, they got rid of Bo Jackson. Why? <laughs> because he's not Bo Jackson. So everyone is loving this. It, it, everyone has the same takes. That's why when we prove to be right over here at The Athletic, mm-hmm. the subscription base should, should skyrocket. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You, like should start, you should get like a private jet 
And I just get to sit back and say, I told you so, because that's all I really want. I would love a private jet, Emery. I would absolutely take whoever, whoever we got to, whoever got to, you know, get on board with this. I, I'm ready to talk to him. I'll, have, I'll talk to some people, see what, <laughs> see what we can do for you. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. if people keep reading the same stuff and keep trying to force this thing to happen, but your eyes will always tell you the truth and your eyes are never wrong. As you know, you don't have to have played in the NFL, college football, or be some 40 year scout. If every time you watch Tariq Cohen play football, he's doing something dynamic with the ball in his hands. And every time you watch Jordan Howard do something with the ball and he's getting stopped at the line of scrimmage, why are you fighting with your common sense is telling you that, man, this dude 29 should get the ball a lot? Why are you trying to force that to be to, to not happen? And I, I feel like that's happening with, with this David Montgomery phenomenon. And we'll, again, that's to quote Chris, uh, Chris Berman. That's why they play the games, right? So we'll see it play out. Everybody will be like, "Oh, who would have thought?" Like, duh, we we thought it already. So oh. that's my that's my that's my uh, rant on the Bears' backfield. So there will never be Tariq Cohen slander on this podcast. I, that is fine with me. You're never going to get it from this side of the microphone either. Let's play this game with Mitch Trubisky. I'm not even going to bother asking you about the number 18 guy. Mitch Trubisky's number 20 QB ADP. I'm not going to bother you asking you about the QB 18 because I can't believe he's QB 18. It's Dak Prescott. I think that's an easy selection. QB 19, Jimmy Garoppolo. You like him or Mitch Trubisky? I don't even know if Jimmy Garoppolo can finish the season. <laughs> so I'm going with Mitch Trubisky. Uh, QB 17. Let's jump up there. It's Tom Brady. You going Tom Brady or Mitch Trubisky? <laughs> well, Tom Brady is not really a fantasy guy. So, you know, in, in that sense, I would probably, and plus they don't have the receivers this year to, to where he can put up those Brady Moss numbers. So I'm going with Trubisky there. All right. A couple more and uh, we'll wrap up the Mitch discussion. Uh, QB 21 is Josh Allen. QB 22 is Kirk Cousins. Uh, how do you compare Trubisky to those two guys? I'm going Trubisky over Allen, and I'm going Cousins over Trubisky because Cousins is a fantasy football Hall of Famer. All right, so you've got Trubisky in about what looks like a mid-tier or lower-end quarterback, too, which I think going into the season, uh, even though I might personally be a little bit higher on him, certainly a fair assessment of Mitch Trubisky and the Chicago offense going into the start of the year. Emory, we got a time for one more guy. Now, Josh Allen certainly would fit into this discussion. Sam Darnold would, too. Uh, but we'll have more time to talk about those two guys. I want to get your take on Dwayne Haskins. Uh, when you and I were, were knocking this back and forth, knocking the, the idea for this show back and forth, he was one guy who you threw out there alongside Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson. And certainly not, I'm not saying that you think he's going to be as good as those guys. Who knows when, when Haskins is even going to start. But uh, when I asked you for the guys who you were most intrigued by, Haskins was one of the ones that you threw out. So I definitely wanted to get your take on Dwayne Haskins uh, before we let this show end. So I guess first and foremost is when does he start? Because I don't think it's going to be week one, but I got to believe it's going to be at some point during this season. Yeah, you're right. He's not going to start week one. That's because he's going to start week zero. Dude, he's going to be the starter <laughs> at the opening you think game. So? Right season. away, right off the bat. Play the best players. And Jay Gruden is he's no fool. His job is on the line. Pay, uh, play the best players, and the best player at that position is Dwayne Haskins. So you're not uh, thinking Case Keenum wins or uh, keeps Jay Gruden's job. One of the greatest lies ever told by coaches is when they come into camp and like every job is open. Like, bro, no, it's not. Every job not open. <laughs> so the you already know. You know, twenty of the twenty-two starters 
on the football team already. So you're not buying Case Keenum. You're not buying Colt McCoy. It's going to be the Haskins show right from the get-go. I've ridden a lot of New York City subways to know not to play three-card Monty. This is playing <laughs> three-card Monty. <laughs> Dwayne Haskins is starting at for the Redskins week one. Okay, so then let, let's say that. Let's say Dwayne Haskins is their week one starter. What does he bring to the table in this offense under uh, Gruden and Kevin O'Connell? The deep ball, period, because you wasn't getting that from Alex Smith. You're not getting that from Colt McCoy. You're damn sure not getting it from Case Keenum. So <laughs> you're getting a deep ball from Dwayne Haskins, which then would alleviate a lot of pressure off the running game, which now you have two good backs and uh, Adrian Peterson and Darius Geis coming back healthy. You have good tight end depth here. Receivers should benefit from a guy that's consistently accurate at all levels of the field. So the offense will look a lot better, much more balanced here for the Redskins. The the pass catching group's interesting to me, and especially uh, when you look at uh, quarterbacks or, or when you look at Dwayne Haskins as maybe the starter. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, it's as great as the great receivers are. You know, quarterbacks elevate receivers, I think, more than receivers elevate their quarterbacks. So when you look at what Haskins uh, could be looking at, he's got Josh Doxson, Paul Richardson, uh, Terry McLaurin. Uh, Trey Quinn is a guy who a lot of people are interested in running out of the slot. And then Jordan Reed when he's out there. Uh, Chris Thompson as well, a pretty good pass catching back. Uh, do you think this is a group that could help Dwayne Haskins to a, I don't know, top 20 season at the quarterback position? I think so, because he has familiarity with Terry McLaurin, the mm -hmm. rookie who's been having a phenomenal camp. Paul Richardson hadn't seen a deep ball or deep overall he couldn't catch. So when you combine that with the ability to throw the ball deep now with accuracy, he should have a, a solid season. We don't know if Josh Doxson can stay healthy enough, so I'm not even going to count him. Whatever they get from him should be a bonus. Quinn in the slot should be a very good thing uh, because he can be the outlet guy. He can be the guy that can really you know, neutralize a lot of that pressure. So I think he's going to have some success in a PPR format. And I like the tight ends because, again, if Jordan Reed can stay healthy. So let's let's add that caveat to Jordan Reed, but you have a veteran in Vernon Davis. I like what they're bringing along in uh, Jeremy Sprinkle. So there are some options here to where I think he has the same level of opportunity that Baker Mayfield had because when you look at what Mayfield walked into, mm -hmm. when you have a Jarvis Landry, Antonio Callaway, David Njoku, uh, Rashard Higgins, uh, Duke Johnson, he had a, a, an offense that was – you know, in good shape to where he can have success throwing a football. Uh, and I think Haskins is stepping into a similar type situation even better because he has a guy that he already has great familiarity with in Terry McLaurin. So what what should we be looking for from Haskins over the next couple of weeks? What should we be looking for? Um, you know, we, we only get so much out of camp, and obviously there's gonna we're gonna have to uh, figure out what's coach speak and what's not. But we're gonna see plenty uh, of Dwayne Haskins, I think, in the preseason. If he's someone who we're trying to get excited about going into drafts, fantasy football drafts, a couple of weeks from now, what should we want to see from Dwayne Haskins and this Washington offense? how he facilitates the football when he's out there in the preseason game, um, whether it's with the starters or more than likely is going to be with the backups. If he's moving the football with the backups, you have to trust that he can move the football really well with the starters. So you just want to see how he's delivering the football, who he's getting the ball to, how is it, how is it coming out accurately? Is he leaning more on receivers or is he leaning more on running backs or tight ends? Where he's throwing the football is where you also want to keep an eye on in addition to how he's 
uh, throwing the football and how they're facilitating the offense. All right. Now, if he isn't, if he does end up being the starter, he's going to be in that last group of quarterbacks. In a lot of one quarterback leagues, he won't even get drafted. In super flex and two quarterback leagues, every quarterback gets drafted, but he'll still be toward the back end. So let's consider that last group of quarterbacks uh, from a fantasy perspective. It generally includes Matthew Stafford, Andy Dalton, Nick Foles, Marcus Mariota, Joe Flacco, Eli Manning, whoever ends up starting for Miami, uh, whether it's Fitzpatrick or Rosen. Uh, where does Haskins fit in that group to you? Is he the best fantasy option in that group? Uh, can he be better than Matthew Stafford this season? I don't think he can be better than Stafford because Stafford is the veteran, uh, more established guy. I think his stats will probably be on par with a Stafford, you know, maybe 25 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, something like that, maybe 11 interceptions. Um, I think that's about right because I think he has the benefit of of balance on offense. So they won't ask him to throw, you know, 40 times a game. Even Andy Dalton's numbers probably would be what you can expect this year for Dwayne Haskins. And if that's the case, then the Redskins are, are probably playing winning football. Hard to believe. I, I think if you polled uh, even people who would call themselves big football fans, I don't think you would get a lot of uh, answers that Washington went seven and nine last year, but they managed to go seven and nine. And certainly Dwayne Haskins could make them more interesting. You like Dwayne Haskins uh, the same as or better than an Andy Dalton, who's going to be without AJ Green for, you know, four games, six games, whatever it's going to end up being. Because he doesn't have the athleticism of Andy Dalton, I'm a side with Dalton, but I think they're going to be right there on par. And, and to your point about what they did last year as a football team, remember week 16, they were in a win and end situation with Josh Johnson, that quarterback whom they just called off the street a week prior. So this was a team that was right on the brink of the playoffs. Now you add a healthy Washington Redskin football team with a better quarterback. This team probably can flirt with nine wins. They can get nine wins, I believe, and be that third team in the NFC East. Potentially intriguing team from both real life and fantasy perspective, assuming and I think we, uh, you're certainly safe assuming that it's going to be Dwayne Haskins under center week one for this team. Emery, we got to call it a show here. Another great show. Thank you so much for joining us here for episode two of the Advanced Route. Uh, you can get Emery on Twitter at F-Ball Game Plan. Emery, this was a ton of fun. And I think I got plenty out of it, too, uh, for, my, uh, for my upcoming fantasy drafts. If at worst you got hot takes from it, but at the best, you got some great fantasy advice uh, from yours truly. And the negotiations have started for you getting a private jet. So there you go. I mean, I woke up this morning not knowing that was going to be the case, but here we are. I'm going to I'm going to hit you up about this uh, backstage. But uh, until then, thanks, everyone. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. We will be back with you next week right here on the Advanced Route.